Ivana Redijevic is an e-commerce marketing expert. She is on a mission to help business owners understand the power of building an email list as well as how to interact with that list. This episode, you will learn the importance of having a story to your brand, as well as how to build longevity in your brand, how to run ads, as well as how to build an email list, and so much more. So with e-commerce specifically, I really kind of fell into e-commerce. So my my background, what I studied in university was political science and uh, German language and literature. So I ended up getting a poli-sci degree and like a translation um like translation certificate for German. And I did work for the government for about four years in sort of different capacities, a lot of like policy work and program management work and that kind of stuff. And um, I realized pretty quickly, I was like, also I was like much younger then, but kind of straight out of university, I, I didn't fully enjoy the work and I really couldn't see myself doing it for like 40 years. Um, it was just like, I was kind of looking for something a bit more fast paced and where, you know, we could kind of make decisions quicker and there's quick turnaround and there's like, it's a sort of an evolving field. Whereas what I was doing was more static, if, if that makes sense. And, you know, not to hate on government jobs. I absolutely see, see the appeal of it. It's, it's, it's a good job. If, it, if you enjoy it, absolutely. It's a good job. I see it. I get it. I understand why people do it. It was just like, for me, it wasn't the right fit. So I actually ended up after I finished like my last contract with um, like a government agency, I uh, went back to school and I studied public relations for a year. And so I wasn't really working for about a year. I kind of I went to Europe, I did a little bit of traveling, and then I decided, okay, I'm going to re-enroll in school. And I wanted to just change careers completely. And that's where I sort of started getting a taste for like the marketing side of it and ended up working with an agency, a local agency here where I worked for about six and a half years, actually. But they initially were just like, straight marketing, a lot of social media marketing and that kind of stuff. And then we started hearing about the Shopify thing. We were like, okay, this thing's kind of cool. And we started getting like more clients that were on Shopify. And then it got to a point where a lot of our clients were on Shopify. And all of a sudden we're like, well, we're, we're an e-commerce agency and we really enjoyed it and we were good at it. So that's sort of how I, I got onto the e-commerce side of it. Yeah. And, and Shopify is a beast of its own as in it, it is now people go, oh, I want to start selling clothes or whatever they want to sell items even digital products they go right i'll go shopify i'll pay my 10 to 20 dollars a month and i'll just get going from there but what they don't realize is there's a, a whole marketing machine that you need to have behind that because nobody's going to find you otherwise and so I, I guess i'm kind of curious about what what are the current ways to market yourself because gosh probably about five six years ago i tried to start a drop shipping thing myself with Amazon yeah. and it, it didn't go so well, but I wish I'd have used Shopify. But the problem was they were like, oh yeah, put you know a couple thousand dollars into Facebook marketing and that will go well for you and this, that and the third. But from what I understand, you're obviously the expert here. So I'd love to see how, you know, how would you market a Shopify sh a shop in you know, 2022? Yeah, I, I you touched on something important there. Um, like just because you build it doesn't mean people are going to come and magically find you on the internet, especially when there's so much competition. I think that's a, a misconception sometimes with, um, especially like newer merchants where they think, okay, they have this beautiful Shopify site. They spend all this time on it. And then they're just sitting there and they're waiting, waiting, waiting. Why isn't there any sales? And that's because how, how, are, how are people going to find you if they don't know you exist? So there is, a ton of stuff you can do to drive traffic to your site. And a lot of it is budget dependent. Um, of course, 
ads is something that a lot of people will do. They'll run ads on, you know, you can run them on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and Snapchat and TikTok and Google, of course, like you name it, you can run an ad on it, but you need budget to do that and to do it well. And right now what we're seeing is that the customer acquisition costs on especially platforms like Facebook and Instagram are really going up. So it's getting more and more competitive to compete for those clicks there. And those purchases, um, influencer marketing is another way I see like a lot of, um, especially early stage merchants where they will start working with influencers first because they don't have those huge budgets or maybe no budget really like to put towards ads. So they'll reach out to influencers and partner that way. Um, I will say even with like influencers, they're like people shouldn't go in there thinking, oh, I'll just give them a t-shirt and they'll do it for free because there's a lot of work involved in content creation. Like if anybody's ever tried to make a reel on Instagram or like it takes longer TikTok, than 15 seconds. It takes longer than 15 seconds. Absolutely. Like never mind like the editing side of it, but you got to film it and like be consistent and all this stuff. And I think that goes really underappreciated when brands are like, you know, why wouldn't you just do it for a t-shirt, like a $20 t-shirt? It's like, well, there's a lot more than $20 worth of work here. But, um, but yeah, influencer campaigns is, is a big one too. Like those partnerships, obviously I'm very biased towards email. Email is like my forte. And I always recommend that merchants start building that email list right away because those people have really expressed interest in your brand. And usually, like generally speaking, we'll see anywhere like on the low end, about 20% of a merchant's revenue come just from email. But I've seen it even be up at like 50% and sometimes more depending on the, on the merchant. So email is huge. That's like a no brainer to start building that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think the thing is as well with, with you know, paid advertising, so, you know, Facebook, Instagram, all the socials and that is, yes, you can retarget people that have seen your ad before, but if someone's giving you their email, that means they've technically already interacted with your brand and they have enough of an interest to give you what, you know, whatever email address they give you, whether it's their best one or their worst one, who really knows and cares? But I think the thing is with email marketing, people see email as old. Oh, why would you want to email me? Like, just send me the code on Instagram or DM me this and that. And it's like, realistically, your email is like your your base, your hub. And let, let's be honest, social media, they decide what's going on. So they mm -hmm. decide the prices of things. And, you know, you might put five pounds into an Instagram ad or five dollars. And yeah, that might have done you good five, ten years ago. But now that's doing nothing. It's just going to show your thing to like a thousand people. Whereas if you spend the time building that email list, surely there's there's a lot more tangibility there. Like I, I'm curious as in what are good ways to utilize an email list once you build it? Let's say you've just started your company or you started your Shopify store and you've got 100 people on your email list. What's the best way to interact with them? Is it email them every day or is it, you know, send them coupons, discounts? How, how does how's that work? Yeah, it like email is what we refer to as an owned channel. So you, like you said, you don't rely on some sort of a third party, like a Facebook or a Google to show your content to their audience. You have the email, you can communicate with that customer directly one-on-one. -on -one. Um, in terms of like what to do, I mean, there, there's a number of different things that you can do through email. And, you know, there's the bigger your list, the more you can get into like segmenting into different like audience segments. Um, if your list is smaller, you'll probably not be quite there to start segmenting yet. Like with a list of a you'll probably just email all hundred of them. But I would say usually when people sign up, they, you know, the most common thing is like save 10% on your first order, 
for example, right, to get people to the list. Mm -hmm. But that's not always the case. Sometimes there is no, you know, discount. Sometimes it's just people want to be the first to know about promotions and new product launches and community initiatives and stuff like that. So um, it, it really depends on what makes sense for your brand. But initially, after somebody first signs up, it's really important to like, I don't want to use the word indoctrinate them into your brand, but really it is like really making them aware of like what your brand is, what you stand for, who are the people behind it? Um, you know, what are like your best sellers or something like that? Like there's definitely a time to be doing a pitch, a sales pitch, but not every email needs to be a promotion or a sale or something like that, because you also don't want to condition your subscribers to wait for sales. You want them to buy when they're ready. Um, so with a list of like with the smallest, you would email everybody and it depends on like your capacity to email. Um, you know, when you get to like the bigger list and you have more segmentation, you might be sending like five to six emails a week, but they're all going to different segments. So it's not the same person being hit five, six times a week. It's, it's all going to different people. When your list is small, if you're like a one person shop, maybe you do once a week, maybe that's not even feasible for you. And you have to do like once every two weeks or maybe even once a month to start, but maintain some sort of a cadence that's manageable for you and then increase from there yeah and I'm, I'm sure here the listener or the people listening would be curious to think okay cool so i understand i've got to build my email list i'll add that widget or whatever it's called that part to my shopify store so i've got that nice little pop-up that comes and say oh give me your email address 10 percent off and etc etc but they go to themselves okay i've got to build that email list on the side but for now people still need to know about my store I'm going to, you know, post on a, a social media and all that kind of stuff. Do you have any kind of tips and tricks around starting from, you know, basically zero to not obviously to getting to millions of dollars? That would be great. But, you know, zero <laughs> to at least one. How, how do you get that first sale through the door and that first kind of post out there that's going to be up to standard? Like what are the tips and tricks around that? Yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised how effective email is for that. But the thing that we're assuming is that you have already established product market fit at this point. Like, you know, do people even want what you're selling? Sometimes like, you know, I've, I've talked to merchants where they think what they have, everybody wants, and then they sit there and they're waiting for that sale bell to ring on Shopify and it's just not happening. And then I have to ask them, well, have you validated product market fit? Like, has anybody else ever bought this or expressed interest in it other than like, you know, your mom and your and your family or and, and your friends like is have you ever had a purchase from somebody you didn't know you know from from an actual customer so i think validating that especially before you start like really putting a ton of money into whether it be ads or some sort of email platform or hiring a team or whatever is going to be really important so and, and you can do that like i said you can get your first sale through email, you might be able to get it through like social media, you might have to go to like trade shows or pop up shops or something like that. Um, you know, fairs, that kind of stuff to really just get validate that people want your product, get your name out there, and then you can start ramping that up. Okay. Well, Ivana, you're a you're a kind of e commerce insider. What are the hot <laughs> products right now? Is it still candles? Or am I way behind in my knowledge of what's hot in e commerce right now? I mean, there is a lot of stuff like during COVID, like when it was like the height of the pandemic, a lot of people were obviously at home. So all this like work from home furniture was massive. Like people were, you know, buying like desks and, and whatever upgrades to like their, their home, um, hobbies and things like that as well. Toys, like things to keep their kids entertained while they were at home. Those are all really, really popular. Um, I, I think like beauty products and stuff like that were from what I saw, um, 
you know, because people didn't have to go to the office, so they didn't have to like put on makeup and like make sure that, you know, they're dying the hair all the time or whatever to like go to the office. But um, I think a lot of that stuff is it's, it's sort of starting to come back around. Um, but I do think people's shopping behavior has definitely shifted to online more than it maybe was. Oh, well, definitely more than it was before the pandemic. But um, I, I know like Shopify came out with a stat early on when, you know, early on in 20, 2020, that basically like COVID has propelled us 10 years in e-commerce in just like the last couple of years. And I'm definitely seeing that a lot more people are comfortable shopping online and shopping online for things like groceries that maybe before people didn't consider buying online. They wanted to go to the store, but then you see the convenience of buying your groceries online. And now all of a sudden it's just, it's, you almost trained yourself to do it that way. So I think there's a lot of like really interesting shifts happening right now. And I'm actually curious to see how many of them are still around like a year from now, but I don't see us reverting back to like pre pre COVID e-commerce levels. Like I think it'll, it'll kind of even out. Okay. So you think it's going to be kind of like that initial boom? Yeah, it will die down, but it's, it's definitely set a kind of a level playing field now of like, right in-store because people were always predicting that you know the high street or the the kind of malls and that are going to die because online shopping is easier and technically cheaper because of whatever else but i think one thing i've noticed with kind of e-commerce right now is a lot of people are setting up brands and kind of using a, a, a phrase called white labeling so it's kind of like you could just get a blank kind of t-shirt or leggings or whatever and just put your logo on it and you know get your brand built that way what, what do you think of those type of situations how can you differentiate yourself if you are deciding to go that that kind of route of white labeling yeah i think with that it's really going to come down to well number one also like the the quality of the product that you pick so is it is it something that's going to disintegrate after one wash or is it actually like better quality than others uh, but also like the founder story so the story behind the person the story of the person behind the business i think people often forget that that is some an important story to tell like people want to know now who they're buying from before it was okay to go to like a Walmart or you're buying from Amazon or, you know, target or whatever, these like big, big box retailers. And there was no association between like the customer and who they were buying from. It was just like this big corporate entity. And now with like more and more people being able to get their business up and running online on their own. Now you're really like getting that sort of FaceTime with the person behind the business, like the person making those shirts and why they started it. And maybe they have, you know, different like community initiatives that they're passionate about and involved in and a portion of sales goes to like that, you know, charity or whatever it might be. So I think a lot of merchants that I talk to, they, they're very um, shy. Like they don't want to get in front of the camera, you know, trying to get them to shoot like an about us video is like pulling teeth sometimes, but those things go a long way because people want to know who they're buying from. And I think direct to consumer is really here to stay. Um, and I know you touched on malls as well. And I actually read an interesting, um, an interesting report this morning that where sort of where malls are trending is that there'll be more like return hubs for e-commerce purchases. So you buy something online, doesn't fit. Instead of shipping it back, you take it back to the store in the mall. I don't think malls are going to die. I don't think there there's still people that like to like peruse around and spend a day at the mall and whatever. But I do think people are trained now to really like lean on e-commerce more than before yeah I, I mean personally i think i see in-person retail shrinking down because of what, what you've just said of you know online's easier and yes you could use it as a return sub but i also think it's like 
for some people, they need to go and try things on and whatever else. But as well, now there's a lot of options that you can add into online shopping carts where you go, okay, well, what shoes have you worn before and what size did you wear those shoes in? And it will, it will tell you, okay, well, in this shoe, because it's wide and broad and whatever, you might be a size nine in this shoe and et cetera, et cetera. And the same for clothes. But obviously there is that element of, especially with women shopping, things like Shein and all those kind of brands that send you stuff for dirt cheap the fit's not right, the cut's not right, and you, you might want to return it, obviously. So I guess I kind of, I'm leaning towards the side now of, of questioning for you and for email marketing and e-commerce, what does the landscape look like in the future? As in, so how does a brand differentiate themselves once once everybody's reached the same level? Like let's say now everybody that knows they need a website, they need social. Once everyone's doing about us videos and they're doing, you know, founder stories how do you go that step higher after you've really got a high quality product because then it's just it's a very odd playing field where before you would have had just nike adidas reebok whatever now you could have a hundred different people same level quality of product maybe a little bit of a higher price point how do you differentiate yourself I think customer service is going to play a big part here too. So especially when people are like, they want to make decisions quickly, you know, you're online and, and if you're looking for something specific, you want to buy it then. And if you have a question and the, you're, the brand you're asking the question of isn't responding in a timely manner, but another one who has a similar product responded to you right away, you're probably going to buy from that one. So I think customer service is going to be big and well, it already is, but I think it's going to be a differentiating factor, um, especially as people get used to, like I said, like immediate, immediate answers to their questions. That's how you're going to win the sale. I think also differentiating factors of like, you know, sustainability is huge too. Like you had mentioned Shane and like, I know they got into some hot water um, with like the fast fashion movement and how wasteful it is. And you know, how, how, cheaply they produce their products and then all of this stuff ends up in landfills so i think people are um becoming more trained to like buy things that are especially for clothes that are going to last now instead of things that you know we're kind of used to going into h&m and buying a new outfit for every single event but now it's more like okay let's buy like those quality pieces that we can we can wear for a long time so even with you know stores like um what are they called like thread up and places like that that are more into like the thrifting side of it we see more and more of that coming up too so i do think um there is going to be differentiating factors like that in terms of like customer service how well is your customer service performed compared to your competitors and those, some of those differentiating factors on what else does your brand stand for besides just you know xyz so i i think those are going to be important yeah so when you're trying to build your brand and, and you know, obviously the, the end goal would hopefully to be to get sales, how do you decide what to do first? So how do you decide, right, you know what, we've got 10,000 followers, but realistically, it'd be good to have 20,000. But at the same time, you're trying to juggle the fact of these 10,000 people are interested in your brand. So you still need to sell to those people. And obviously, when you're just starting out, you know, it might be one person, two people, you know, if you're lucky, maybe three. How, how do you kind of juggle and decide what's what with, you know, like a content calendar? And then also... Say if you don't meet your goals, what does what does that look like, and how do you kind of restructure and, and repurpose your your stuff for that? Yeah, I think people get really um, like they zero in, in my opinion, too much on sort of a follower number uh, because you might have a million followers, but if those million people never buy from you, they're you know not really engaging with your content. It's just a vanity metric, in, in my opinion. So I have seen uh, you know like 
accounts on Instagram that maybe they have a thousand followers, maybe they have 2000, but those are really like, those are super fans. And they really believe in like what this person is doing, whether it's some sort of like an online course or coaching business, or they actually have like an online store or something like that. Um, and they will buy from them. So, so people that maybe only have a thousand, 2000 followers can generate more revenue than somebody who's got tens of thousands, because those tens of thousands are just, they'll just click a picture, like a picture and that's it. And they'll move on. So I think it's important, especially as you, if your goal is to grow, define, you know, like, like, what do you want these followers to do? Do you want these people to buy from you? Or do you just want to have sort of that social cred so that you can say you have X number of followers for whatever other purpose you might, might have. Um, So I, I would say don't neglect the people that are really your fans that are going to be a loyal customer base and don't neglect them for just having like, you know, if you have, if you have this like number stuck in your head of, I want to have a million followers on my, on my Instagram, on my TikTok or whatever. Um, I, yeah, I think that would, that would be my, <laughs> that would be my biggest warning in that case. And in terms of like how we know we're doing well, like we're always, we're always testing things. I mean, I'm, I'm always in there looking at what resonates, what doesn't, I don't want to be churning out content just for the sake of, oh, we have to post today. It's more so everything should have a purpose and, and an intention behind it. If you can't tell me why you're posting what you're posting in like five seconds, 10 seconds, then I, I would ask you, okay, what, why, so why are you posting it? Is it just to like check off that you posted today? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I've always noticed that the, you know, you, you do come across regardless of who you are and what you want to do. You do come across all these posts online where people go, Oh, you've got to post three times a day, you know, regardless of whatever app it is, they go three times a day, morning, midday in the evening so that you hit all three crowds of people. But I, I'm understanding from what you're saying. It's like, if you're going to post, have a real intention other than just to say you've posted. So mm-hmm. you've kind of got to have your your brand message really clear and your your brand identity of right, right. Every time we post, we are either going to try educate, we might try sell, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. And the same goes for email too. Like with every email you send, ask yourself, why am I sending this? Am I just sending it because it's Wednesday and I have to send an email on Wednesdays? Or am I sending it because there's an actual like intent and, and a purpose behind it? Yeah. And I, I wonder if you're able to kind of briefly tell me, how do you build your purpose as a brand? Like, obviously, this is a very long, drawn out topic that you would go through with a, with a client. But just for the, the listener, how would you kind of go, right, I've, I've got this brand, you know, let's, let's say, for example, I'm selling T-shirts. That's the easiest thing to say. I'm selling T-shirts. My T-shirts are my own art. I've got my own artwork on them. How do I build my brand message and identity in a in a kind of way that would make me stand out or be something someone different other than the fact I've got cool designs on my top yeah well I think that kind of also to, on the flip side of that is like sometimes people almost try to, to differentiate themselves like too much where where it gets to the point where it's like it's not even it's not even realistic anymore who they are at that point either um I have like I've worked with brands who right out of the gate they have a very strong sense about like this is who we are this is what we stand for this like this is what we are this is what we're not and they're very very clear about that and I mean that's makes my job easy because then <laughs> obviously I'm like awesome you guys already know everything about your brand but then there is brands that are you know especially like newer ones or sometimes like we merchants are like a one-person team or a two-person team where it's really about helping them identify um, who it is that they're targeting because if somebody comes to me and they're like well everybody wants to buy our shirt 
I'd have to ask them, okay, are you sure about that? Like, would everybody want to buy this, the, the designs that you have? Um, because sometimes like if you're too general, if everybody's your customer, you're, if you're speaking to everyone, you're speaking to no one. So I think it's important to identify who your target customer is and even just start with one and, and start there and expand it from there. And that is going to also help shape your brand identity and who you are as a brand as well. So I, you know, I always suggest start with like, we call it a customer avatar in the industry, but start with that, start identifying who your customer is and don't just don't say that everybody, everybody needs shirts because then you're not at that point, you're really not differentiating yourself from anyone. Yeah. Uh, Once you've honed in your avatar and you know, you're building up your social and you're building up your kind of marketing side of things, your email marketing, is there a point where your avatar might change or, you know, if you've gone to yourself, right. We're talking, let's say this is a, a long-term brand because everybody wants to build a long-term business, you would hope. So five mm-hmm. years ago, you're targeting 18-year-olds to 25-year-olds. Some of those people are now 30 or some of those people are now, you know, in the upper bracket age range. Would you suggest a brand move with their audience like through a life cycle or just stick to targeting a younger demographic? Because, you know, trends come in, in and out and things change, mm-hmm. you know, with different generations. Yeah, I mean, my question to that would be, you know, is the product still relevant to a to a 30 year old? So is some is your product something that a 30 year old would want to buy? Or do you have anything in your product line that you can sell to a 30 year old? If not, then maybe that's like once the customer is sort of outside of your, you know, customer avatar canvas, then maybe they that they're not your ideal customer anymore. And that's okay. You know, you can't, again, you can't cater to like absolutely everyone, but I would say that's also an opportunity to look at your product line and see if maybe there are things that you can add, maybe new product launches or something like that to like cater to some of those customers. And I would say, absolutely. You will probably also find that, especially in like, um, kind of like as you scale the business, that there's going to be more than just one customer avatar for you. So the one that you started with, that's, it's a good starting point, but you should reevaluate that and see, okay, are you able to like identify some new customer segments? And you'll start seeing that as you collect more data, as you make more sales, as you start seeing how people are interacting with your content and email on social, with your ads, with all this stuff, you probably start seeing some patterns that you can draw on. Yeah. And kind of pivoting away from physical products into digital products because those are the real money makers because realistically you don't have to manufacture anything the return cost is very very small because it's just a file or a link how do you kind of first of all i guess how do you build an online course or how do you kind of build because i'm assuming you know if you're a marketer it would be great for you to sell a course about marketing but you'd have to market that as well which would prove the the value of the course to other people but yeah. So how would you build a, a course? Because I'm assuming that's something that you are either are doing or would look to do in the future. I'm not too sure as, as a freelancer, you know? Yeah. And the courses, the online course industry has blown up. Like I, I feel like almost everybody has an online course now. I think that's actually great because it really allows you to monetize your expertise. So there is, you know, yeah, people can still pick your brain over coffee. Absolutely. But also it's like, you have to recognize that you have spent years in some cases acquiring that expertise. And I don't think there is anything wrong with, with monetizing it. So I am seeing way more online course creators pop up and do this. And as you said, like there's much lower overhead because it's all online. It's all digital. Really. You need like, you know, a laptop with with a camera and and a mic because audio quality, uh, 
very important yeah. <laughs> it obviously in, in podcasting but also in in i would say for courses and things like that too just make sure that that's there um but yeah you don't need a ton of overhead to get started it's it, it's quite i don't want to say easy because there's definitely still work involved but it's quicker to get up and running than if you have to source a product from like china for example and wait for it to come and do reiterations and stuff like that so in terms of marketing um even for like online courses a lot of sort of what we what we talked about for e-commerce also applies online um i have seen a lot of these that coaches really leverage social media to share and educate completely free like this is all free content and then it's kind of like okay if if you want to learn more about this or you want to dive deeper or you want to have one-on-one coaching sessions or something like that that's where it's you direct them to your you know your pricing sheet or your online course portal or whatever it may be um so there there's lots of stuff like that there's also for example uh like patreon is uh I see a lot of course creators leveraging that as well to to build that subscriber base and have, you know, they'll upload subscriber only content on there or do live streams and and, and things like that. Um, So I think there's a lot of opportunity there and on the online course side of it, that's actually where I've seen some of those followings that aren't very high do really well because those people are hyper engaged and hyper interested in what it is you're talking about. Yeah. And so, with marketing, there is so many different things you can do and should do and, you know, will end up doing along your journey. How do you learn from the mistakes or the things that don't go so well? Because I'm, I'm sure you said earlier, you said about, you know, A-B testing. So you're going to try two different campaigns. How do you mm-hmm. learn from what worked in one that might have worked better in the other, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, man, the 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 mistakes and the learnings. I think that that, that still still happens. But um A-B testing is wonderful because it really, like, you don't have to guess at what works and what doesn't. The one thing that's really important, though, with A-B testing is to make sure you're testing at one variable at a time. Because if you change a bunch of stuff, you're not actually going to know what made the difference. So, um, and that goes for email, that goes for landing pages, like your website and, and things like that. And you can also, of course, test content on social as well to see, like, what type of content resonates and what type of content doesn't. And you'll see that very quickly just based off of engagement with with your followers so i think testing is huge and you know like mistakes will still happen it's just like sometimes you can do your absolute best and test and retest and test your tech stack and then the day comes of like black friday cyber monday or something like that and your tech stack something breaks and (laughs) even though you've tested it a million times um so those things still happen with time though hopefully like you learn and, and and you're able to avoid those mistakes mistakes. But one thing that I have learned, and I had, I learned this lesson the hard way um, as well, is not overcomplicating your sales. So I know sometimes like it's a great idea that you want to do a gift with purchase here and free shipping here. And if they spend X amount, then they get this gift. And if they spend this amount, they get this gift. But that gets so complicated very quickly. And it just makes it that much more likely that your tech stack could fail when you absolutely cannot have it fail. So I would say, and especially for anybody that's like starting out in e-commerce and you're sort of running your first big sale, keep it simple, like as simple as simple as you can. Um, so something simple as like 30% off site wide, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, so that that would be like a, a big piece of advice that I have. Yeah, and you, you, you touched on something that I actually wanted to ask you about, which is add-ons and, and kind of incentives to buy or incentives to repurchase. Do you have any kind of other options that are available that people should consider other than, you know, 
hey, you're a return customer. Here's 30% off. Or, oh, if you buy our perfume, we'll give you a little tester. What are some ways to kind of, once again, just stand out and be different amongst the kind of noise of what everyone else is doing? I think even just giving them like first access to like new product launches, especially if it's a limited edition run, like scarcity is, is a big motivator for people to buy. So if you have something that is brand new, show it to like your VIPs first, make them feel special. Like they get the first peek into your new collection or get their input on things, like make them feel involved and included in the process. That's going to make them more likely to actually buy once, once whatever it is you're launching launches. So I, I always try to like give my, my VIPs exclusive access, whether it's to a sale or a new product launch, or maybe even like exclusive behind the scenes content of whatever the founder doing something or other. Um, I think that can go a long way. And even just like personal thank you notes from the founder really like makes people feel special as well. And it'll help you stand out in like a sea of other emails and, and brand initiatives and stuff like that. So it doesn't always have to be a sale by any means, obviously like sales and like gifts with purchase are very popular, but there's other ways that you can make your customers feel very, very included and part of like almost part, like part of the family. Yeah. And I kind of, with that view of having people at the center of your marketing, rather than just trying to hit these random numbers on a screen of going, Oh, yep, yeah, we've hit 10,000 emails today. You know, you're thinking of a person, you have that avatar in mind. I always want to know, you know, with marketing, is there a way to kind of plan for virality? Is there a way for you to go, do you know what, if we're targeting women over the age of 30 with this, you know, set of bed linen or whatever it is, how can we make it so that Sally tells her friend Hannah and so Hannah tells her, you know, her girl when she goes over to see her? How do you, is there a way that you can kind of manufacture that into the marketing process? I mean, if there is, I personally haven't found it yet because you don't know, well, number one, you don't have control of the algorithm. So that's the thing when you rely on third-party platforms is I have no control over the Instagram algorithm. I can use trending audio on everything. And sometimes it takes off and other times I get like 200 views and then you're left like scratching your head trying to figure out what the heck happened. Um, but, you know, then there's like morality, like uh, like that Coinbase ad that just went crazy during the Super Bowl this year. Did they think that that was going to, that simple QR code was going to blow up to that extent? Probably not. But I mean, who, who could have predicted that? And, and it crashed their site. Like that's how many visitors they had with that. So I think there is, with marketing, it's a lot of experimenting and testing things. And if you go viral, it's also not always a good thing because <laughs> sometimes you could go viral for the wrong reasons or sometimes, um, you know, we've had situations where like some a merchant has a sale or, or whatever launches something new and it has so much uptake that they, they need to pause it because they can't they cannot fulfill the orders, whether they don't have the capacity or they're run out of product. And um, so, you know, it's it can be a good thing, yes, but it's also not always a good thing when you just absolutely blow up, especially when you're not expecting it and you're not ready for it. Yeah, because I feel like as well, when you're building your brand, it's one of those things where you ideally, yeah, you'd love to have a million customers come through the door. But it's like if it's just you one and your laptop, you're not going to be able to get much done if, if you have a million orders exactly. coming through and you're packing them by hand. And I guess like for me, what I see with e-commerce is right now is there's a big kind of knowledge gap. Everybody thinks they know what to do. Everybody wants to say, oh yeah, you know, you build this and you do that and then you press this button and do, 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 the money comes in. But 
obviously from your perspective you've watched the landscape for the last you said you know six plus years and in those six plus years a lot has changed hasn't it yeah absolutely not just from like a tech side of things but even like costs and things like that and like how much your dollar gets you has has changed quite a bit so i think e-commerce is it's not even done evolving yet either like there's there's so many more um you know kind of uh, new things coming out with like ai for like virtual fitting rooms and stuff like that and now people are talking about like selling nfts that then you that nft would essentially be like an all exclusive pass for you to be like the first to buy whatever, some small limited, limited collection. Um, so we're, we're there, there's still ways to go. Like e-commerce hasn't hit its, its peak in terms of like potential and, and what you can do. And that's part of the reason why I like working in the field is because it's always evolving. It's never boring. That's for sure. There's always something new going on. So um, yeah, I think it's still got, got a ways to go. Yeah. I, I guess seeing as you mentioned it about NFTs and that kind of stuff, how do you see e-commerce transitioning into the crypto world? Do you see it being the same as right, it is now, right now, or do you see it being kind of something different, something that's, you know, way, way different to what you're doing now? I think uh, from like an immediate standpoint, I would suspect that more and more merchants would be looking to add uh, like crypto payment options to their site so that somebody can buy using like Bitcoin, for example. Uh, It's not super widespread right now, but I don't see why that wouldn't be something that is coming in the next few years just to give people the flexibility to, to pay how they want to pay. If they want to pay with crypto, let them pay with crypto. If they want to pay with Visa, let them pay with Visa or PayPal or, or whatever. So I think um, I think from that side of things, that's probably one of like the more accessible, if you will, or like straightforward sides of it. But on like the NFT front specifically, like I'm still trying to wrap my head around like how they will work. Um, And I think right now it's very, very, very early for that. But of course you always have the early adopters who are already on that and and figuring out ways to incorporate it into their marketing. Um, So I'm actually curious to see what brands do with that because I, uh, I'm still wrapping my head around NFTs and and all of that side of it as well. Yeah. So going from learning about new things for yourself, let's say there's a person out there listening now who's listened to all of our lovely conversation and gone to themselves. Yeah. I like the sound of this, this email marketing stuff and this e-commerce stuff, and they don't want to start a brand. They want to kind of step into the type of role that you have. How would they start? How would you suggest that that person gets, you know, a basic understanding that can help them get, you know, either a job or just get themselves started in your field? I think as far as it's possible for people to do it, actually like launching your own store, just to like experiment with, sort of the Shopify, if that's what you're using Shopify, um, back end and just like familiarize yourself with how does shipping work? How will fulfillment work? How do I add products, product photography, like all these different parts of e-commerce, I think would be super helpful. That very like hands-on experience. If you can go to an employer and say, hey, I have my own store or I started my own store. Even if you started and failed, I don't think failure is a bad thing. It just, it shows that you tried something and you learned something. So even if you started like your own business, whatever it may be, and it didn't go anywhere and it failed, in my opinion, that's not a bad thing. Like if I had somebody who came to me that I was interviewing and and I heard that they had a business that failed, I would be curious about, you know, them as as an entrepreneur and like what made you even want to start a business. So I I don't think that that's a bad thing. And I think with like just the amount of online material and online courses available now, you, the more you can learn about it, like 
even just online, because I don't know, I mean, at least not where I am, there's no like e-commerce degree you can get, but that might be coming down the pipe. Like the closest you can get is marketing right now, right? From, from university here at least. But uh, there's lots of like certificates and online courses and things specifically about e-commerce that you can take. And even from there, like network with people within that program or like the teachers or whatever it may be. And network to get to the point where you can at least have a conversation with somebody and then and learn from there so I think with e-commerce there's um I would say and I mean I may be wrong about this but just like from my perspective there's almost like less barriers to get into it because there's not like when I hire I don't I don't look for you know do you have a degree in xyz like to me it's more so what have you actually done and and like what hands-on experience do you have? And I think with e-commerce, it's very, um, very ex- like accessible for people to do that. Yeah. And so for you working in e-commerce, working in marketing, et cetera, et cetera, what is it about this field that brings you the most joy? What do you enjoy about the field you work in? I mean, helping people scale their businesses is really really fulfilling especially when it's like those small mom and pop shops and for you know some people like this is their full-time thing they they focus on their store full-time and that's all they do and then for other people they have their nine to five and then they have sort of this is like their side hustle their passion project you know kind of similar to like what I do in, in my on my freelance side of things so um I love like seeing the excitement when they actually like start making some sales and you know especially when they get that first sale from somebody who's like said like not a family member or a friend they get so excited because you you like physically watched a transformation of them as into an entrepreneur and a business owner and I think what's really cool about e-commerce too is that it really has created more entrepreneurs because it it, it is accessible to a lot of a lot of people to get started same with the online course creator field as well so i think that, that that's that's the big thing is just watching people literally like transform into business owners and how excited that makes them has been really rewarding where can the people find you online yeah so i'm happy to connect with with your listeners on i mean i'm, I'm on all the platforms but the best one would be i am on twitter as ecom Ivanat, so just e-c-o-m-i-v-a-n-a um and i also am on patreon i do have my own patreon channel same same handle at ecom Ivana. and linkedin of course people can find me just search my first and last name there's not too many of uh too many of us on there and of course uh instagram as well i'm just at iv.ra if people want to connect with me there i'm happy to connect with your listeners on any of those channels thank you for listening to people explained new episodes come out every monday we would appreciate it if you gave us a review on apple podcasts and shared this episode with a friend